While time and tide wait for no man, irony comes and goes as it pleases. Back in the 1940s, two films were made, both called Gaslight, both adapted from the same play of the same name. And yet, while one enjoyed box office success and earned a brace of Oscars... You've been forgetful lately. Forgetful? Well, losing things and... <laughs> Don't look so worried, Paula, it's nothing. The other languished for decades, rarely seen and all but forgotten. Oh, nonsense, Bella. You know perfectly well how you imagine things. Don't say that. I have been better the last two weeks, haven't I? What do you mean? You know very well what I mean, but I've been trying so hard. More recently, however, that neglect has been corrected, and it is the once-forgotten edition that is now the more revered. The stage play Gaslight opened to critical and popular acclaim in London's Apollo Theatre in 1938. Its author, Patrick Hamilton, had already achieved considerable success as a novelist, his books focusing on contemporary English life. Patrick's brother Arthur was also a novelist, and it was his book, To Be Hanged, published in 1930, that inspired Patrick to pen a new plot set in Victorian London. Or to be more precise, it was the illustration Arthur's publisher Doubleday decided to use on his dust jacket that provided the spur. It showed a gaslight being dimmed, and that simple image prompted a story of Bella Manningham, a young newlywed who falls victim to her murderous husband, Jack. The play begins with Jack doting over Bella as they set up house in Pimlico's Angel Street. But soon, Bella is experiencing bouts of confusion and forgetfulness, and Jack fears she is going insane. The melodrama becomes a mystery when it is revealed that years before, the house had been the scene of an unsolved murder, motivated, it has long been assumed, by the search for unfound diamonds. Then, through the inquiries of an old, diligent detective named E.G. Ruff, we soon learn that Jack is the killer, who has returned to the house with the intent of finding the prized gems. What about the brooch? Brooch? The one I asked you to wear tonight. The one that didn't go with your dress. It's upstairs in my room. More lies. It is. It must be. It's only mislaid, Paul. You've hidden it away in one of your mad dreams. I have not. If it's gone, someone else has taken it. Someone else? We see about someone else. The play's title comes from the sequences where Jack, searching in the attic for the diamonds, turns up the gaslight to see into the tight spaces, which in turn causes the gaslight to dim in the rooms below. Bella can't explain the sudden darkness and with Jack still searching for the jewels, the stage is set for a gripping tale of mind games. Convoluted as that plot may sound, any retelling of Hamilton's tale immediately recalls such 19th century stories as Charlotte Bronte's Jane Eyre, Thomas Hardy's The Mayor of Casterbridge, and Wilkie Collins's The Woman in White. But Hamilton was not just mimicking. He was exposing the melodramatics of the Victorian novel in order to point out the injustices of Victorian law. Until the Married Women's Property Acts of 1870 and 1882, women like Bella Mallon had no control over their money or assets, which were the legal possession of their husbands. It's only since we came to this house that I, I've changed. I never wanted to come here. Yet it was my money that made it possible for you to buy it. Is that why you married me, Paul? The play was so popular that it soon lent its title to a phrase. 
Gaslighting has since become a term used in clinic and research papers to describe marital abuse where spouses so manipulate their partners, the victims doubt their own sanity. Hamilton's production enjoyed a six-month run in London's West End, after which it transferred to Broadway, where it was renamed Angel Street and played to packed houses for a further three years. With such sustained success, it is little wonder that it attracted the attention of filmmakers. First up was a British version, bought to the screen in 1940 by writers A. Or Rawlinson and Bridget Boland. While Boland's greatest success would not come until the 1950s, when she shared credit with several others on King Vidor's adaptation of Tolstoy's War and Peace, Rawlinson's greatest success had come a few years earlier, when he had provided Alfred Hitchcock with the scenario for his 1934 picture, The Man Who Knew Too Much. Strong screen adaptations always depart in some way from the original text, and this adaptation, directed by Thorold Dickinson and starring Anton Walbrook and Diana Wynyard, contains changes both banal and strong. The superficial changes the names. Jack and Bella Manningham now become Paul and Bella Malin. The potent change is the way Bella is portrayed. Hamilton drew her as a young woman whose vigorous and inquiring mind stems from her classical education. In Rawlinson and Boland's scripts, and through Wynyard's performance, Bella becomes a defenceless innocent, much more vulnerable to her husband's mind games. And portrayed by Anton Walbrook, there is a clear sense of sexual sadism in Paul's cruelty. Oh, Bella, don't cry. You spoiled your looks, and I wanted you to look very beautiful tonight. Keeping an eye on Angel Street box office returns, Columbia Pictures quickly purchased the remake rights with a view to it being an ideal vehicle for their female star, Irene Dunn. But Dunn said no to the project, so Columbia sold the property on to Metro-Golden-Mare. The only problem was that with the British adaptation already in existence, MGM had a rival product to contend with. To solve the situation, MGM summarily set out trying to have all Prince of Dickinson's films destroyed, which is not only a bizarre instance of attempted movie murder, but also a bewildering instance of cinematic vandalism. Thankfully though, MGM's conspiracy failed and a few prints survived. The reason for this nefarious scheme was that MGM planned Gaslight as a big-budget prestige picture, with two-time Oscar-nominated director George Cukor guiding a cast made up of Ingrid Bergman, Charles Boyer, Joseph Cotton and, in her first screen role, Angela Lansbury. Cukor's film is some 20 minutes longer than Dickinson's, indulgently and needlessly departing from Hamilton's play. Once more, the names were changed, Jack and Bella Manningham becoming Gregory Anton and Paula Asquith. Another alteration provided a contrived setup where the woman killed at the start is Paula's mother, which means that Gregory is now marrying the daughter of the woman he murdered, all in order to get his hands on the jewels. And how does the script contrive to have Gregory marry Paula? Her mother was a famed soprano singer, with Gregory an aspiring pianist. And it is through Paula's talents as a singer that she meets Gregory, 
or rather that Gregory contrives to marry her. A more plausible decision was to lower the age of the diligent detective, E.G. Ruff, now called Brian Cameron. Making him younger meant that he could be a romantic interest for the distressed Paula. He isn't here. My husband isn't here. I know that, Mrs. Anton. It's you I want to see. Go away, I'm ill. I can't see anyone. Elizabeth, stop him. I didn't ask him to come. Mrs. I didn't want Anton, him to come here. My name is Brian Cameron. You mustn't come here. Go away. Oh, not until I've given you this. Look at it. Look at it, please. Alice Alquist gave it to me years ago at Covent Garden. I was a little boy overcome with admiration. Now you'll trust me, won't you? And that pretty much sums up the MGM version. Where Dickinson had established a dark sexual undercurrent, Cukor neutralized it with a comforting chance at cordial romance. However, what both versions do sustain is an interesting ending where the abused wife turns the tables on her homicidal husband by pretending to be the insane woman he has long told her she is. Craig better cut the rope here. Take the knife. Knife? What knife? Are you suggesting yeah, this, this is, is a knife, knife I hold in my hand? Have you gone mad, my husband? Or is it I who am mad? Yes, of course, that's it. I am mad. While Rawlinson and Boland's script is superior and Dickinson's direction is tonally stronger, it is the Hollywood version that is technically the more accomplished. The sets by Cedric Gibbons are deliberately overdressed with ornaments and keepsakes all designed to emphasise Paula's claustrophobia. Similarly, Paula's costumes by Irene are that bit heavier than you might expect so that she appears to be suffocating. But above all, it is Joseph Guttenberg's cinematography that far surpasses the British production. While it is nowhere near as innovative and compositionally experimental as the work delivered by Greg Toland on Orson Welles' Citizen Kane, Guttenberg's work does nonetheless choose specific moments for expressive lighting and angles. No more so than a high shot in Paula's room, where the lampshade dominates the foreground, with Paula lying distraught on her bed in the background. Looking at that shot, one can't help but think of Notorious, the film Bergman made two years later with Alfred Hitchcock, where once again she was the victim of a sadistic and scheming husband. Indeed, Gaslight brings to mind other depictions of London, namely Roman Polanski's Repulsion, which again relies heavily on the city's interiors. But there is one thing that both versions of Gaslight underused, and that is a subtle exploration of sound. Attention to such detail was not all that common in the 1940s. Indeed, stereo didn't arrive until the 70s. But listening to both versions, I can't help but transpose the sonorous soundscapes from another film also set in Victorian London, David Lynch's The Elephant Man. Tellingly, all those films were made in black and white, but a powerful colour companion would be Arthur Rubens's thriller Footsteps in the Fog, in which Jean Simmons stars as a maid who blackmails her master, played by Stuart Granger, when she discovers he murdered his wife. 
So which director did the better job? Let me put it this way. In 1929, Patrick Hamilton wrote a play called Rope that Alfred Hitchcock brought to the screen in 1947. Now Gaslight, directed by Alfred Hitchcock, is a movie I'd really love to see 